Hello, everyone. This is Gary Bean welcoming you to the LL Research Law of One podcast episode, holy cow, number 99. LL Research is a nonprofit organization dedicated to freely sharing spiritually oriented information and fostering community. And towards this end has two websites, the archive website, llresearch.org, and the community website, bringforth.org. I'm joined today by the usual rascals, Austin Bridges and Jim McCarty with a very special guest, Susanna Miller. In this podcast, we discuss spiritual topics through the lens of the law of one and our own personal experiences. We hope only to offer a resource and provide discussion, not to present ourselves as authorities with the final word on these subjects. Please exercise your utmost discernment while you listen to us carry on. Uh, many of the topics we discuss on this podcast come from questions sent in by seekers. If you have a question or a topic you'd like for us to discuss, please send it in. You can email them to us at contact at llresearch.org or go to llresearch.org slash podcast for further instructions. Again, I'm Gary Bean, and this is the LL Research Law of One podcast. And today we are quite honored that Susanna Miller has accepted our invitation to be on the podcast. Um, Susanna became interested in the law of one uh, some time ago and several years back invited Jim to be on her then podcast called Bliss Runner. And from that point forward, we formed a friendship and we've had the privilege of spending some time with uh, Susanna in person at a couple of homecomings that she's attended. And for today's focus, Susanna has a wealth of experience to share. Um, our podcast today will unfold in three acts. Act one, career versus calling. What happens when one embarks on a conscious journey to find harmony between her spiritual heart and the necessities of making a living? Act two, awakening ecstatic sexual energy in which we will explore and learn from Susanna's journey of accessing bliss and liberated consciousness. This will be the bulk of the program. Act three, looking forward. A short portion at the end to ask Susanna about humanity's future or maybe just her own. <laughs> um, so if you recognize the structure of <clears throat> the three acts, this is an homage to Ira Glass, host of uh, This American Life um, podcast, in comparison to whom we hold no candle. <laughs> Also, a lot like, wasn't it like Greek plays? There'd always be like a narrator or something beforehand that would just tell you what's going to happen in the play. I think you're right. <clears throat> so welcome to our Greek play, Susanna. <laughs> Thank you. I would have worn my toga if I'd known. <laughs> Is it a tragedy or a comedy? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's the story of heroism and triumph with, with some challenge in between. So we will jump right in, act one, career versus calling, uh, or alternatively, uh, paying the bills versus following the heart. Oh, uh, yeah. So uh, Susanna, Chef, I'm not sure exactly when, but several years ago, you took a big, bold, bold and beautiful um, leap of faith. Uh, can you tell us what motivated you to do this what was it you were seeking and what was talking about taking the bar that leap no we're not there yet oh. Oh, prior, okay. 
rewind the clock um, to the launch of your Bliss Runner podcast. Oh, Bliss Runner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so, well, to set some context for this, um, in, 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 the, uh, in the discussion regarding the um, making a living versus doing something you love, I mean, that's, that's been a, just a theme throughout my entire life. Um, I've been a creative, you know, drawn toward creative pursuits since I was really, really young. Um, first, it was performing arts of various kinds and um, writing and all kinds of different things. But, um, but I couldn't really figure out how to muster the self-confidence to try and make a living doing any of those things. So in my mid-20s, I, I just sort of um, decided to go to law school, a bit of a knee-jerk decision, um, one that I've regretted many, many times. But um, I just thought I need to be able to support myself. And I, you know, I'm a smart girl. I can, you know, I can do this. So <laughs> I just thought I would go for that. And, um, and then once you start something that big, or at least my, the way my psychology works is once I start something that big, I need to follow through on it because um, I just didn't want to quit. So I got sucked into the vortex of the law profession for quite a while there. Um, and then after law school, after cl a clerkship, I tried to start extricating myself from it and moving more toward the creative stuff again. But it was just this war. There was a total war going on. And that's kind of continued for decades now. Mm -hmm. But to fast forward now again to, so that's the backdrop basically is this war mm -hmm. going on. And fast forward to, um, I forget what year it was, 2016-ish. Um, I'd had this major personal awakening, which we will go into in act two, but, um, <laughs> but uh, I, I was simultaneously at the time working for a law firm as a paralegal rather than as a lawyer, because I had not obtained my license in the state of Vermont, where I currently live. I, I was only licensed in New York at the time. And because of the ages of my children and just circumstances, I didn't think I could go through the licensing process at that point. So I was working as a paralegal, but unfulfilled. And once again, in one of these pen pendulum swing phases where I was really, really trying to figure out how to get out of working in the law profession. So I started learning about... Um, you know, the world of online businesses and got drawn into that whole idea that you could build a business online that's structured around something that you're really passionate about. And at the time, because of this, um, this awakening that I'd had, um, I thought, well, why don't I build it around this? Because I am passionate about it. It's it really feels like an area I can be of service. And um, so I, I built this website called Bliss Runner. And um, the content was all about sexual energy, um, ecstatic sexual energy, um, helping primarily women, although quite a few men also said that they um, benefited from the content. But it was really about learning how to um, broaden your, broaden one's experience of their sexuality to include more of their broader selves, their greater selves, rather than just thinking of sexuality in, in physical mechanical terms. Um, so that's kind of the, the gist of the, of the uh, 
what started as a blog and then from the blog blossomed into a podcast. Um, and then from there, I was trying to create content that I would in theory be able to sell and make this a quote unquote business. <laughs> but um, unfortunately I kind of ran into a, a mental block about doing that because I was so, this, this material is so vulnerable and close to my heart and just feels like something I want to give away because I feel that the need is so great. Um, I never felt aligned with charging anybody money in any way <laughs> related to this content. So it, you know, it was a, a miserable failure when it comes to creating business uh, around this, at least, at least Bliss Runner 1.0. Um, who knows about the future? But in any case, that's, that's what that's how it started was, was, you know, this idea of building a business around something I loved combined with something that was a very big piece of my journey at the time and trying to make those two unify. Yeah. Not charging for things doesn't quite pay the bills and leaves you stuck in that pendulum swing, huh? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I never liked feeling salesy, you know, it's just. It, uh, your, your website, when it was up, it's currently dormant. We'll get into that later. Um, it did not have that feel from the perspective of a reader, well, that's uh, good. nor did your podcast. Yeah, you, um, for this podcast, I had the occasion to go back to episode zero and one, which Susanna was kind enough to send me because like I said, the podcast is dormant right now. And I just, in rebooting my memory, remembered just how impressed I was with that podcast, not just in, in its production, which is impressive enough from uh, your clarity of communication, from the, the depth that you dive to, your, your groundedness, um, the, the service that the podcast offers, but also just um, what a massive leap of faith that was for you because you didn't have a community of support. You, you did this as a, a lone light out in the wilderness and decided to launch a podcast wherein you would talk about not just sexuality in the abstract, but about your own sexuality and your own experiences in very intimate, authentic, um, public undressing ways. So I just um, felt admiration listening to that podcast. And it was a very bold thing for you to do in this pendulum swing or, or war conflict, as you describe it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for saying that. Um, at the time, I sort of felt like, at least initially, like nobody's going to find this. Nobody's going to listen. So it didn't really feel like much of a risk at first. I thought <laughs> I'd be invisible virtually. Um, but yeah, it became less invisible <laughs> as time went on. Yeah. Yeah, light attracts light. Um, before moving on to, so th this act one of the podcast, uh, career versus calling, um, there's three parts within this act. The next is, uh, what, what you next decided to do in terms of the law firm. But I just wanted to ask one more on this step in your journey, the bliss runner podcast. And that is, um, uh, what were your thoughts <clears throat> about being so vulnerable and open on your own. I guess you started to address this. Is there more that you'd like to share? On, yeah. On um, the confidence it may have took or the, the faith it took? 
I'm not sure what got into me, frankly, why, you know, why it felt okay. Um, the more, you know, because as we'll go into in a minute, um, the, sh- the shame of doing that, of revealing so much personal detail uh, kind of came back to hit me in the face a little bit later. But I think it was just that, I mean, the whole awakening, the whole experience was so profound to me. Um, and I, I just felt it, it was just this feeling that, wow, like every woman I've ever had a conversation with about sexuality, I just felt every woman could benefit from this information and that the more I can make it real and not just talk about the concepts and just really tell them, hey, you guys, oh my God, look what's happened to me. If this happened to me, given my history, um, then, you know, it's, it's available to everyone. So I think that was the motivation is just this, like, I almost felt like I was trying to just talk to my girlfriends, you know, and sharing this information, (laughs) which I'm sure that's kind of how it comes across at times, because I I definitely get into the details. Yeah. So you're motivated with a heart full of service and, and finding alignment with what brings you most to life and, you know, various, um, teachers and gurus and spiritually wise people or just seasoned people will communicate that when you tap into that that central most thing which makes you feel most alive then the wind is at your back and Mm -hmm. um, uh, like you said I don't know what I was thinking really but you you take the leap and you do it anyways so um moving forward we wanted to make this portion of the program shorter and I'll open it up to Austin and Jim once we covered just a snapshot of your story here so you were operating this website and this podcast but the war continued within you you had not found resolution or balance or harmony and the pendulums swung back the other way could you tell us about that yeah so um part of it was you know as i i had put so a couple of years worth of effort into bliss runner and not having seen any any progress on the, you know, making a living front as, as it pertained to that, or just coming to the realization, I guess, that I didn't have it in me to really try to make that effort, um, based around bliss runner. Um, I I was then sort of stuck with this question. Well, do I try and find yet another job, you know, just try and switch jobs or do I try and make the one I have better? Um, and, And given that I was still only a paralegal, I thought I should at least give that a try, Um, which really in my mind only entailed taking the bar exam (laughs) only, (laughs) you know, only entailed taking the bar exam. Um, And fortunately my kids had gotten to an age where they were self-sufficient enough that I, that rather than sounding just laughably ridiculous, the endeavor sounded like, okay, that's hard. That'll be very hard, but um, I'm willing to try, you know, more, more of a challenge to like sink your teeth into than, uh, than a dreadful thing. So, and the idea being that if I can get more client contact, you know, be more actual, actually pro. So I'll, I'll just say in the, the field of law that I'm in is estate planning and estate administration. So it's helping people. Uh, plan their affairs for before they die, what's going to happen to their belongings, their assets when they die. And then after they die to help the family um, 
process the estate, you know, go through the whole settling of the estate part, which is probably the piece of the work I do that I enjoy the most because people are very, um, they really need the help at that point. It's such a mysterious process and knowing what they're going through emotionally, you know, it just, it's, I love kind of being able to guide them through that process. Mm. So, but as a paralegal, I didn't have as much of the hands-on feeling of getting to, to help these clients directly. I was more uh, in the background. So I thought if I take the bar exam and I, you know, just do this more directly than that, it'll feel better. So I approached my, my law firm and just asked them the question, you know, if I were to take the bar, would you guys consider promoting me to an attorney here? And the law firm had about 26 lawyers in it. And uh, my team, our practice area was only about four of us, four or five of us. Um, my team was very enthusiastic about it. They, they were supportive and wonderful. And um, the broader population, less so. They, you know, they didn't know me as well. And it came uh, to my attention when I, as part of this initial conversation of kind of reconnaissance, you know, are they going to go for this, that the law, that the law firm had been made aware of my website just a, like a month earlier. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. <laughs> and that it had been the subject of, of much um, merriment. Uh, during the lawyer's mm-hmm. retreat. So it was at the bar at the lawyer's retreat. Ha- did you hear Susanna mm. has, Susanna's the sex therapist is the way they put it or something like that. And, it, it, you know, there was much, there was much, um, I don't know, laughter and um, various levels of reaction. Some mm-hmm. up in arms, some just thinking it's hilarious, you know, just all kinds of reactions. So um, my, my feeling when I learned this was, was hot shame pretty quickly. Well, at first, actually, no. My feeling was like, oh, okay, how they react. You know, then when I started to learn about the reactions, then it was hot shame. <laughs> and, um, and they basically gave me an ultimatum and said, you know, if you want us to make you a lawyer, you have to take your website down. So... Mm. Um, I resisted that at first. I said, well, how about if I just make myself anonymous? You know, I back my identity out of the website as much as I possibly can because it still can do good work out there in the world, just having the content available. And that wasn't good enough for them. So, so then I was faced with a decision. What do I do? Um, And given that I had already gotten to kind of a point of um, not burnout, but um, just not knowing whether I could really put in as much effort to Bliss Runner as I had been because, because of what I've already explained. Um, it didn't feel like as much of a loss to shelve it um, as it might have if, if they'd made that request a year earlier, say. Mm. So I just decided, you know, I didn't really know why or if this idea of going further into the law was going to take me where I wanted to go, but I just, I felt like it was the next right step, even though I didn't know. I just felt like, okay, this is the next right step. Um, So I agreed and I, and I took it down. I, you know, 
disassembled all the pieces and parts, although there are little there are little bits of it out there that don't have my name attached to it that I, actually people find from time to time still. But um, I did take the bar, passed the bar. It took the law firm a solid year to actually make the decision to hire me, which is you know another story. But uh, so uh, they officially promoted me December first of twenty nineteen, and then COVID hit in <laughs> March. Um, so. I mean, I don't know if you want me to go into the then what happened bit of this, but um, once COVID hit and we were all then forced to work remotely from home, I pretty quickly realized mm. that it's possible to run a law practice all on your own remotely from your own little computer at home. What timing. Yeah. And, uh, and so I just, I, I, I just made the decision, you know what, I think, I think that's what this is all about. I'm going to do that. So um, I made that transition at the end of 2020. So I'm running my own practice now and I feel great about it. Like it's not the end of the story by any means, um, but it's the next right, right step. And it feels more aligned than anything in the law that I've ever experienced before. And I feel these two pieces, these, these, the pendulum swing is now getting shorter and it feels Ooh. more, you know, like the creativity and the heart are actually right here with the law practice. And it's, I'm putting my hands up. Nobody can see this through the microphone, but you know, it's just, it's less of a, a war. It's more aligned and um, yeah. Yeah. So it's all good. Uh, thank you for sharing. You went right to the third part, which is finding the middle way, which is you know, the, <laughs> the part of the chapter you're in now. Um, I did want to explore just a little bit more the second part where you had to shelve Bliss Runner in order to become a partner in the firm. Partner, that's the right word? Not, right? not part. I was not a partner. They, they were making me uh, just a, a, an attorney, associate. Oh, yeah. Partner is a yeah. different uh, level yeah. <clears throat> yeah. of, I guess, ownership or something. So, right. Stakeholder. Yeah. Um, did like the way you tell the story in retrospect makes it seem to my ears now that it was uh, a little bit easier to make the decision to shelve Bliss Runner, but have, remembering what it was like to talk to you at the time, I remember a little bit more struggle with the decision. Um, I'm wondering that position that you were in is what uh, they call a rock and a hard place. You yeah. Know, I, I, you're, um, <clears throat> You need to earn a living. You need to increase your income. It's do or do or die now. But there's you know what you're most passionate about, even though you said there was some burnout there. So I'm wondering, um, in choosing to take the bar, which is an, an enormous, massive effort, if you felt like you were um, denying a part of yourself or cutting off a part of yourself to shut down Bliss Runner. Absolutely. Yeah, it was, I feared it in any event. I feared that that's what I was doing. And just looking back over that, you know, the last two years or so, it, I do feel that energetically I tamped down somewhat on the, on the bliss side of me, <laughs> not completely like in my personal life, I still, I still um, work with that energy, but um I definitely, it's funny, just in contemplating having this conversation with you guys and just remembering um, what it felt like to share that information in the world, um, 
it, it just, it felt, it feels good. I'm really grateful for this opportunity to talk about this again, because it's, mm. it's felt like I've had to sort of stuff. It's like someone who's had to come out of the closet, trying to go back in the closet. Uh, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's yeah. been that kind of an experience for me. Um, and I did, you know, I did kind of jump right to how I made peace with the decision. And when I just described to you the, yeah, I took it down, but no, you're right. It was not, a, it was not an easy thing. Um, at first I really struggled, um, mostly with the principle of being silenced. Mm. Um, I, I felt I was pretty angry actually at what I felt was a paternalistic, um, just heavily judgmental, dogmatic, you know, proclaimant from on high about what I was allowed to talk about. Um, and yeah, I struggled a lot with that, but, but like I said, because I'd sort of come to the conclusion that if I was ever going to stop this war <laughs> that I needed to move in this direction, um, ironically moving toward the thing that I didn't like, um, <laughs> Yeah, makes sense of that. But um, I, I felt that I just needed to find a way to, to make peace with that decision to go back in the closet about Blues Runner. Um, so, and that's it, focusing on the practicalities of it, meaning that it wasn't quite a, that I, I wasn't quite as into making the content at that point. And knowing also that the content's preserved, it's not deleted and that I can, you know, I can bring it back to life at some point or rebrand it or do whatever should I choose to um, that helped make it a little more palatable to make that leap we can make a whole podcast on focusing exclusively on will and faith in your journey because just looking at these two chapters in your life of which there's more um, <clears throat> and uh in, in the first one, you had to, you launched this podcast, you taught yourself how to build a website, how to produce a podcast, and you did it. And then in, in the next chapter, you uh, uh, studied for and took the bar uh, at a mm -hmm. point in your life when um, many wouldn't take that so, or make that sort of effort. And to me, that's uh, very vivid examples of will and faith. But um, to this aspect of your journey where you had to shut down the website and you said like you had some anger and you felt even silenced even. Um, I remember feeling sorrow, sorrowful for you as well and a little bit angry with the world myself because in the Confederation philosophy and, and within LL Research's um, MO, there's such emphasis placed on uh, authenticity, being mm -hmm. and discovering who you truly are and walking that path, and that the world would kind of squash this in you or tell you to get back in the closet, as you said, uh, kind of pissed me off a little bit too. Uh, but you, uh, in, in that pendulum swing, you pushed it back to that side and there's something to explore there about accentuating distortion in order to find balance in the law of one, but we won't go down there. We're, uh, we'll aim to wrap up this portion so that we can get into act two very shortly here. Um, so you had um, left, you had described how the pen, you had become, a, um, damn it, it's not a partner, it's Oh, an associate. Yeah. An associate, yes, thank you. <laughs> you became an associate with, with the law firm and um, just months before the pandemic, pandemic comes and, and shows you that 
uh, you can practice law from your home. And that opened a whole new concept inside of you. Mm -hmm. And uh, you described that how you eventually ran with that. So, and that means that you, after having uh, passed the bar, signed on with the law firm, you took yet another leap of faith into a new chapter and decided, I'm going to go off on my own. I'm going to leave this law firm and practice law on my own uh, from my home and remotely. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I imagine I sound a little reckless, huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I'm sure the reader or the listener can discern what a, a grounded personality you are and how clear headed your thinking is. Um, I ascribe courage to you, but you know, uh, Ra called linked bravery with uh, foolhardiness. I guess it depends on one's perspective. So, um, there's so many questions to ask here. I, I guess I would zoom in on how this recent most leap of faith into leaving the law firm, becoming your own attorney, brought the, as you said, like the pendulum closer together and reduced the conflict and what that means to bring heart's alignment with, with making a living in the quote unquote real world. Yeah. Well, I'm able to just be who I am now. I'm not answering to um, to expectations from the law firm. You know, I mm -hmm. can work as much or as little as I want to. You know, just dictated by what I need to earn. Which, if I keep my overhead low by working from my home, is not not as much as you know one would think. Um, but more importantly, I get to present myself to clients the, just the way I want to, which is very, very heart centered. You know, I just, um, I don't try and play one on TV. You know what I mean? I don't try and play that lawyer hmm. that people expect to see. I just, I'm just myself. And that seems to be working fine. <laughs> you know, people like it. Um, and, and so I get to focus on the clients and what they need and helping them and not think at all about billable hours. I've, I've, I've structured my billing system around flat fees so that I don't have to keep track of every, you know, increment of time, which is something that I also didn't enjoy at all about practicing law before. So I'm just rethinking things and it's, and it feels peaceful and it feels aligned and because I can work in the way that I, when I want, in the way that I want as much or as little as I want, I can, I can also craft in these other pieces of myself, find the time, you know, to devote to being a mom, you know, my kids are schooling half time from home right now because of the pandemic. So I'm able to cater to them and um, I'm able to, you know, build mud benches and, you know, do spin art or whatever, <laughs> just do whatever I feel like doing. Um, and so it just, it just, it opens up um, my life and my world to be able to mold it more um, in the way that feels right to me. It's the first time that I've worked in a job where and I'm not obvious, you know, I'm working for myself. So I'm, but it's the first time since I've been a lawyer, which is 26 years now, um, that 
I've felt good about what I'm doing as a lawyer, you know, and that I, that where my, my life fits with that work. So that, you know, it's like, I didn't see it at the time. I was like, and why, why am I doing this? I'm not really sure, but it just felt like the right step. But now I see this like path and I, I really feel like I was guided, you know, to see, mm, you yeah. don't see what's coming, but we do. So <laughs> we want to slip you in right now. Get that, get that bar exam taken care of right now, you know, because yeah. it just all the way it all kind of fell into place was just couldn't have written it better. <laughs> I think retrospect does reveal that your journey is an exact illustration of that principle that mm -hmm. you're describing, that, that there's a larger journey, but you can't see two steps ahead. You can only see the, the step you're taking as full of doubt as it may be, but that step is prelude to and necessary for the, the step that comes next. <clears throat> right. The one that's still a mystery to you. And, you know, I've, uh, we've had the benefit of friendship with you for a few years. So I've seen each of these three recent most stages in your life. Obviously, there were many steps before these. And it's very inspiring to know what you went through and overcame to reach this point where you are now. And I'm so happy for you that you are finding this, this balance for the first time, because that wasn't your mindset you know, when we first met. Um, so we are at uh, about 29 minutes. We were looking to get this to get Act 1 wrapped up in about 30 minutes. Um, but before moving on to Act 2, I want to uh, shut up for a moment and open it up to Austin or Jim to see if they had reflections or questions. Nothing for me. No, I think you've described your situation quite completely. I'm amazed, too, just as Gary is, that you have had such a transformative experience just in the, what should we call it, the mundane world, uh, the world of uh, lawyers, the world of seeking to making a living and making choices. And I applaud uh, your choices all along the way. Oh, thank you. In which case, Susanna, are you ready for, <laughs> for the second act? I'm are ready. Further? Are you ready? Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is where I'm... Um, most likely to stumble. <clears throat> <laughs> this act business we've never employed before. It's kind of an interesting innovation. Thank you, Ira. So um, the listener will have heard Susanna describe or mention ecstatic sexual energy. And that is the uh, the 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 term behind what launched her work with Bliss Runner, and that's what we're going to dive into now. And I have a little bit of a preamble to Act Two here. Um, first, I wanted to address sexuality itself uh, because I see it as a fundamental aspect, not only of our bodies but our minds and spirits as well. It is a profound, inextricable part of who we are. Even if we identify as asexual, sexuality is encoded inextricably into our natures. We are sexual beings as much as we are thinking beings and emotional beings and, and mammalian beings. Um, but uh, this isn't just a property of the human or, or animal experience. I, I see sexuality as one of the most important and primal and in the right context, 
uh, elevated evolutionary forces in the universe. In other words, it's really part of the guiding force back to the creator. I, would, I wouldn't be surprised to learn that sexuality is experience on the level of atoms. Uh, however, that might look for those more simple beings. And it's also a predominant theme in the law of one material. A raw not only contextualized sexuality as beautiful, good, true, and sacred, um, but communicated explicitly that it offers a means to exchange energy with others in mutual upliftment, and that carefully conducted, it opens a pathway to intelligent infinity, which is another way of saying uh, self-realization or, or God realization. But you, the listener, already know that, and you're not surprised by that. What is surprising is that in almost 100 episodes since Carla passed, uh, we, uh, Jim Austin and I, have yet to explore this topic on the podcast. Um, fortunately, Susanna is here to help us remedy that lapse. And uh, a disclaimer before we embark on this section. Um, we are acutely cognizant that we are three men talking to a woman about her experience of sexual energy, um, which will include some reference to anatomy, like vaginal orgasms. Uh, parentheses, this is a topic which Susanna spoke about uh, freely and transparently on her Bliss Runner podcast. Close parentheses. <laughs> so I talked with Susanna in advance about this and she described feeling totally comfortable and uh, in exploring this subject matter with us. And when I sought guidance on the question, she just very helpfully said, don't screw it up, man. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> That's not, yeah, I'm kidding. She said uh, just simply that she, she trusts us. And um, hopefully our conversation today can offer a platform for the listener's own experience and, and uh, they can filter out our man monkey limitation and understanding. And we approach this topic with a sense of curiosity and admiration and desire to learn. So we've arrived at act two in our show, act two. Awakening ecstatic energy. Uh, we, <laughs> we obviously don't have the time to do justice to the depth and complexity of this journey for you, Susanna, and all its attendant emotions and challenges and words, but rewards, but maybe we can capture something. Can you start by sharing something about a recurring dream you had in childhood? Yeah. Um, so this theme of um, of wanting to really um, find a way of being sexual in the world that was different from from what I was seeing in the culture started from very early on, and that was as a result of these dreams I had. Um, I don't call how many I had, but basically, and it was probably after puberty hit. So I don't think I was really, really young, but um, I would uh, in my dream experience uh, union with another being um, where it was sort of like we were in ethereal soul form or whatever. And our essences would completely unify, blend, become one really together both you know physically 
such as we were and, um, and in every way. And the feeling of it was really um, heart, heart uh, ecstasy. It was just, you know, it was, an, it was a sexual experience in this, in a sense, but also really more just, just love um, beyond anything I'd ever felt, you know, emotionally in my, in my waking life. And I remember waking from each one of these dreams with, you know, just this incredible longing and almost homesick feeling hmm. for that experience. And uh, just a yearning to want that experience in my daily waking life. Um, so they, they really made an impact on me. And, um, and I remember from before I was even sexually active, having kind of an idealized of uh, sense of what sexuality could be, you know, just imagining not necessarily something like those dreams because that this was before that, but, just think, expecting, expecting that sexuality was going to be this really magical experience. Um, but then when I did become sexually active, um, I had quite a few struggles early on and it, it was as far from that. I mean, not as far from, you know, it was, certainly wasn't traumatic and violent or, you know, I know a lot of people have to contend with abusive situations and, you know, things that are truly horrible. Um, and it, so it wasn't that, but it, it definitely wasn't magical and it was, it was painful. Um, so, so that's what set the, the, the scene for my journey, which again, was just like trying to find a way to bring this into reality. And, uh, you know, the pattern was always, um, going into a relationship. I was a serial monogamist and going into re a relationship, there was the hope and, you know, the excitement of a new relationship and that would seem to offer the promise of the beginnings of this, but it would never, it would never evolve into that. And once I sort of realized that the, the trajectory of the sexual relationship was really just a physical, mechanical, conventional one, I would pretty pretty quickly lose interest and kind of become asexual within re the relationship, which, mm. you know, didn't really help much <laughs> in any of them. So yeah, it was a bit of a, bit of a mess. I would imagine most people awaken to sexuality long before their first experience, but they have a, a certain template where there's something, um, <clears throat> has stimulated that interest in them and then when they have their first experience or set of experiences it sets a template in your case part of your own awakening to sexuality happened as a function of this dream which set very high bar a certain sort of template for what sexuality could be and i remember in your bliss runner podcast you described how you had then theorized or presumed that as a result of your experience in this dream that human sexuality would be a doorway to that but then come your actual experience of human sexuality that <laughs> fell far short of of the dream yeah fell totally flat i mean and i don't i don't mean to be disrespectful of any of my partners i just want to say mm -hmm. that out loud that you know if if you were to judge 
my experience against everybody else's conventional experience, you know, it was, it was good. I mean, they were, you know, it was, it was fine. You know what I'm saying? Um, but to judge it against this dream was quite another matter or the, the dreams. A quick question about that dream before moving forward. Um, it brings a raw quote to my mind so strongly and fortunately it's short. <laughs> um, in 32 den, 10, excuse me, uh, Don asked to, for Ra to expand on something Ra had said previously in the phrase, quote, complete fusion nature. And Ra replies, the entire creation is of the one creator. Thus, the division of sexual activity into simply that of the bodily complex is an artificial division, all things thusly being seen as sexually equal, the mind, the body, and the spirit, all of which are part of the polarity of the entity. Thus, sexual fusion may be seen with or without what you may call sexual intercourse to be the complete melding of the mind, the body, and the spirit in what feels to be a constant orgasm, shall we say, of joy and delight in the other's beingness. Would you say, Susanna, that those words approximate your experience in any way? Yes. Yes, they do. It's, And I remember that I... I read that long before, or at least a couple of years before my own energy awakening. And oh, I remember wow. when I read it being just so struck by how that was my dream, you know? Oh. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, that's absolutely the experience. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I can understand then the disparity between that and yeah. uh, the, the lived experience in your human life. <clears throat> But wow, it does, if that then was your experience and then given what we'll explore momentarily here, it does um, point to what is possible with sexuality and and what you have as, as a gift to share with others in my humble opinion. <clears throat> um, so before moving on to the meditation that unlocked a whole new world for you, from the Tom Kenyon and Judy Sion book. Did you want to explore any more about um, the non-fulfillment with human sexuality as it's conventionally practiced and how that manifested in relationships? Or did you, would you, you feel that what you've said there suffices? Um, I guess, I guess my point would be for, for those who are um, listening is just that I would call my experience really very conventional in the sense that it was um, it was physically oriented. Um, it was successfully physically oriented. You know, <laughs> it was not. It wasn't that I wasn't capable of experiencing orgasm or anything like that. Um, or, you know, it was it was it was all fine. It's just I knew there was something. There was some that it wasn't the whole picture. I just knew that there was more. And so I would get bored for lack of a better way to describe it fairly quickly. And, um, and I, I've had so many friends talk about the death of their sexual relationship within their long-term relationship. It's, it's really very, very common, hmm. um, more common than not probably that, uh, that, you know, a long-term relationship experiences a decline and a, maybe even a death. 
of the sexual relationship um, or a settling for kind of taking one for the team, <laughs> which is what someone would, would literally describe as, you know, their input in, in that area. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, I, that's just it. It's just like, I, I am you, you know, I was you, I was, I was the average woman out there who's had some successful and, you know, some less successful sexual relationships. In your, uh, thank you for sharing that in your um, Bliss Runner podcast, which again is dormant right now, not uh, available publicly, but you do describe, um, you do go into deeper detail about how this manifested in, in your life and in marriage and so forth. Uh, Just to clarify, the- actually, I think there might be six or so episodes available on SoundCloud still. I had to, Ooh. I downgraded my my uh, account to a free account, which I think only allowed a certain number of hours of content. So there, there might be some still there if you look for uh-huh. Bliss Runner on SoundCloud. I, I don't know looking- which ones. I was looking for it on my own podcast app and couldn't find it. That's why yeah, I requested no, it's, you. It's gone from all those places. And there's, I want, want to add to, there's so much that's poignant in, in your journey and your struggle um, in, in years, decades of this feeling that there's this ideal, there is this something more that you can't access, you can't realize, and um, all the pain that comes with that and all the, all the difficulty and self-doubt and, and the feeling like you're broken and something's wrong with you is how you described it on, on your podcast as well, which is why what comes next in your story is not <clears throat> just amazing because you've tapped into this this inner bliss but it's also healing as well mm-hmm. and, and and a fundamental part of your journey towards wholeness so we'll get into this meditation and what it unlocked with you but i want to pause for a moment um for uh, jim and austin to see if they want to chime in with anything at this point <laughs> I think you've covered it well. I don't see anything get questioned. Uh, it sounds very good. Yeah, I'm right. not sure what I have to contribute. I'm enjoying listening. All right, then I, I'll pause less. Then uh, well, thanks, guys, for being uh, so patient and allowing uh, Suzanne and I to conduct this and supporting this circle. So again, this is very, very long part of your journey. Uh, and not just your sexual journey as if it's locked in that compartment, but your, your, your whole journey of, of your experience of being a woman, your experience of being a human, your experience of marriage and kids and how the, this intersects with everything. And then um, this is either during or following a divorce. Um, you're in a state of seeking. And also, if we were to dive into this, I think it would illustrate will and faith again, and it would illustrate that principle that is repeated in Confederation philosophy, and comes from a biblical phrase actually, seek and ye shall find, knock and the door shall be opened. You were in that sort of active, uh, prayerful, seeking, questioning phase. I heard um, you recount in your podcast that you were uh, asking for guidance, asking for clarity, knowing that there is more, um, knowing that there's something, you know, quote unquote, out there. 
and how how do you access that how do you find that how do you how do you heal how do you etc cetera, etc cetera. and then as as synchronicity would have it and um, and guidance uh, presumably, you stumble on a book by Tom Kenyon and Judy Sion called The Magdalene Manuscript. And um, that begins to stir things within you and it has a meditation that you practice. So feel as, as um, open to say as much as you want about this book and this meditation with emphasis placed on what it unlocked within you. Yeah. Yeah, you're right about all that. So the, the context was the ending. Uh, I was in the midst of the ending of a relationship and uh, it was very, very painful, painful time. And this issue had been certainly one of the issues leading to the demise of the relationship. And, um, but I had made the decision that I wasn't going to just pretend uh, that I, that, that, that the status quo, that the conventional way was fine. I, I was, I made the intention that I was going to seek for this greater thing, where, whatever mm. it was, wherever I might find it, not knowing if I would ever find it or if I'd ever have another relationship for that matter, you know? Mm. Um, so I was doing a lot of meditating at that time just to uh, quell anxiety, uh, if nothing else, and to just try and, and hear the kind voice within because the, the louder, um, not so kind voices in my head that I encountered during the day were pretty loud. Um, so I needed to set aside that time to try and find some self forgiveness for, for the, you know, the stage that I was in the place mm. that I found myself. Um, so yeah. And one of my girlfriends just happened to recommend this book, and um, I guess we'd been talking about the subject. And so she, she mentioned this book and, and I read it and a couple of things. I mean, one is that there's this, this um, meditation in there that I decided to try. I didn't know, you know, I mean, they didn't make, they didn't make it out to be something that would necessarily lead to what happened, <laughs> <laughs> but it just seemed like a kind of a cool meditation that I wanted to try. So um uh, there's that, but, but bro more broadly speaking, what, what struck me on an emotional level about this book was, um, a depiction and this may or may not resonate with, with people, or it may be difficult for some people to hear the de depiction of the sexual relationship between Mary Magdalene and Jesus. So that's a piece of the story of this book. It's a, it's a channeled book and, um, and the depiction is so pure. It, it takes anything prurient, anything um, inappropriate, completely out of the picture when it comes to their sexual relationship and it makes it holy and pure. And that was something that struck me because, you know, regardless of the fact that I had been in these serial monogamy relationships and you know it was it all was appropriate so to speak by by cultural standards and th there shouldn't be anything shameful about sex there i i lived under the cloud of shame when it mm. came to sex my whole life and i just realized that that's just part of our culture it's just the way we yeah the way culture uh portrays sexuality the way it um 
it uh, kind of makes brings it all down to the least common denominator of of um, stimulation. I guess I I don't really know how to articulate that because I haven't really thought it through. But um, the the book was it was the was the mirror opposite was the not mirror it was the polar opposite of that it was a holy relationship um Mm -hmm. it you know just the even the idea that a an ascended being like jesus would have a sexual relationship was eye-opening to me you know it (laughs) just felt like oh (laughs) oh (laughs) that's really cool (laughs) you know i don't know it was it was a wonderful kind of mind-bending experience to read that story and then I sat down and just thought, okay, well, I'm going to meditate tonight. Let me just try and walk through this, this Kundalini rising style meditation, which is really about stirring the energy in the cauldron of the pelvis and raising the energy through, through the um, Kundalini serpents rising up and, and uh, crisscrossing the chakras through the energy system up into the crown and a certain kind of breathing and this whole thing. And so I went through that and uh, <laughs> and it kind of blew my mind because it, um, when I got to the end of this visualization, which involved serpents sort of up in the crown of the head and their, their um, venom dripping down the energy column of the mm. spinal column down back down to the cauldron of golden energy down in the pelvis when i felt that drip down there i just exploded with this blissful ecstatic and or i filled with this blissful ecstatic energy that just started to uh expand and uh it was warmth and then it was tingly pleasure and then it was just it was like the heart was was open and involved and the whole body it was it was an orgasmic state an ecstatic orgasmic state that um, first of all was nothing like you would experience with a physical, just a purely physical orgasmic state. And it was um, absolutely new to me. It complete, you know, it's hard to go back into how mind blown I was because it's become the norm. (laughs) So it's, it's a little bit um, hard to unlearn you know, <laughs> and remember how crazy it was. But I remember there was a part of me that was fully immersed in it. And then there was a little piece of my brain observing this thing and kind of going, holy mackerel, you know, <laughs> this is amazing. What's happening right now? You know, this commentary <laughs> of like disbelief. Um, yeah. But it went on for a very long t- period of time at the time, seemed like forever, but was probably 20 minutes. But, you know, even even by physical standards, you know, 20 minutes of continuous orgasm would be pretty um, frying, <laughs> circuit frying. Um, but it was, this was in a good way. This was just incredible. And then it just subsided. And I sort of had a, I knew it moment, you know, like I knew there was more out there. And I, it, I started crying and I just, I realized Mm. that pleasure um that that all of that was not something that somebody makes happen to you it's not something you do it's who you are 
you know, it's what you're made of. It is cellular. It is atomic because that's what it felt like was cellular joy, mm. you know, just infused throughout every bit and beyond the body. And so, um, yeah, then, it, then I just thought, well, well, what do I do now? Like, how do I carry on with life now? <laughs> like, what do, you, <laughs> what, do you, what do you do with this? And of course, my life was still, was still in a very challenged state and I had to go about my business. And I think I sat down and I don't know if I had the experience quite to that level again, doing that meditation by itself. I think I may have had a, a, a lesser version of it the time after, but then not, then it wouldn't come back in this meditation. And so I wasn't really sure whether it had really happened and, you know, but I, I, I knew it had, but still it, there was a lot of like self-doubt was like, Oh, maybe that was just a fluke and I'm never going to experience it again. And, you know, what am I doing wrong? And how do I, you know, just lots of mental chatter about how yeah. to bring this back into reality. Um, so, yeah, and then it kind of, it took, it took quite a while, a couple more years to really get there. Um, Cause I was still also really, really in a heavily grieving state. Um, and I, mm. I think that made it hard, made it harder for me to, dive into exploring that. I wasn't in a really, you know, I wasn't in a relationship where I was exploring sexuality at all at that point. So um, I just, I just kind of filed it away. I've, I was like, I'm going to research this. I'm going to read, I'm going to figure it out. And so when I am in a relationship again, by God, I'm going to <laughs> do it differently. Like this is going to be a part of it. I don't know how, but this is going to be a part of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh, so in admiration of that, um, when, when one, uh, say, does a drug ingest a chemical inside of themselves, they change their consciousness as a result. And that could be a very happy state of consciousness. But it, it doesn't feel necessarily like one is revealing some truth about who one is. Um, instead, it just feels like this adjunct to real experience. Um, but I hear you saying that this this bliss, the cellular joy that you discovered within, you felt like was a, a portal into the the fundamental nature of who we are. It wasn't just like this extra special thread of energy that's out there that you could tap, but rather it was part of beingness itself. Yeah, yeah that's right. It um, reminds me, brings to mind a, a couple of quotes, not quotes. Yeah, one quote from Ra, where they describe the contact with intelligent infinity as, quote, one most likely to produce an unspeakable joy in the entity experiencing such contact. And there are three terms that will probably be familiar to many on the spiritual path because there's something of maybe they've even become buzzwords i wouldn't be surprised to see them on a bumper sticker somewhere but um sat chit and ananda the three uh, sanskrit terms in hindu philosophy that purport to describe the ultimate nature of reality as it's subjectively experienced they are translated variously but um they're, they're basically consistent in their translations, one of which is 
Sat Chenananda mean truth, consciousness, and bliss. And I've heard from multiple other teachers that bliss itself is, is part of our identity. Were we to pierce through the illusion of this individual identity of a, a separate being in a separate universe and, and touch into um, ultimate reality, reality as it truly is, we would find bliss there. Bliss, again, not as a, a special experience, but as... Um, the nature of the universe of, of yeah. reality itself so this did you have um a philosophical sense of of this experience as you uncovered this well inside of you yeah well like you said i mean i i, I felt the the experience of it was that this is just what i'm made of this is not um something I'm doing or that's happening really. It's just, I'm, I'm, it's what I'm made of and I'm getting a glimpse of it, um, which really completely uh, re made me redefine what sex was. It's like, I, even though from those dreams, I'd had a sense of the, of the something more, I don't know that I thought that in life I was really gonna experience that feeling from the dream. Yeah. Um, I think I just thought that, that sex would be better, you know? Um, but this, this was, yeah, where I really had to, um, redefine sex as, you know, it, that, you know, it's just, it's not at all about what you do. It's who, you know, it's who you are. It's the, the ecstasy is who you are. The bliss is who you are. And, the experience of it on your own, like I was in this meditation, is a beautiful, beautiful thing. But then that union experience of your experience of your bliss, meeting up with another person's experience of their mm. bliss, and the new creation that is formed from the combination of them, uh. you know, that is that fusion um, that you described in the in the um, in the quote from Ra. Yeah. Um, and that's really hard. I mean, it's not, you know, I'm, I'm in a new relationship and in a wonderful relationship where I'm able to explore all of this with my partner, but it's, you know, I still don't feel, I feel like my, my experiences solo of experiencing my bliss are a little easier to accomplish than the, than the feeling of union fusion, even though, you know, we also do I glance at that. I feel like, like, I, I feel like there's more that we're gonna, that we're gonna discover. <laughs> I think I, our bodies make it hard, frankly, to experience <laughs> sex the way it's supposed to be experienced. <laughs> yeah. I'm tempted to dive into what is sexuality in its highest function right now. But I think I'll continue with the, the journey itself and then maybe we'll come back to that. If that sounds good to you? Sure. All right. Um, Cause there's a lot to unpack there still. Hmm. And so uh, we won't get into the podcast yet, but it was this that uh, opened the door to what would eventually lead to launching this 
service to others to share your experience and to help others um, in this arena. So you, you mentioned um, you had this experience and for a couple of years there was exploration of what this was, the, the, there was doubt, there was interference from, from the mind and the body, there was this coming online mm -hmm. and kind of fading and, and maybe a little bit of back and forth yeah. there. Because there was yet layers to unlock, not just right. in the experience of uh, ecstatic sexual energy, but in the experience of healing, especially. And uh, right. the next pivotal moment in your journey, um, you link to learning about vaginal orgasms. Mm -hmm. Could you explore that a little bit? Yeah, so, I mean, to fill in a bit of the story between those two moments, um, like you said, there was there was a lot of uh, healing work going on emotionally from my relationship that had ended and um, trying to, um, yeah, just a lot of healing going on. And I, I didn't try very hard during that phase, which lasted, you know, about a year and a half, maybe almost two years almost two years, I didn't really try very hard to get back to that experience of ecstatic bliss. Um, I almost didn't want to try too many times and have it fail. So like the first couple of times that I tried where it didn't quite work in the meditative state, I thought, I don't want to make that, you know, I don't, I don't want to feel like a failure. I don't want that to be the groove that I'm writing in my consciousness here. So I just kind of stepped away. I was like, okay, just let it go. And it'll, it'll resurface when the time is right. And in the meantime, I'm going to read about it. So I read a bunch of books. I read books by Diana Richardson, which I found very, very helpful. She has a bunch of books on Tantra and um, which helped to explain um, a lot about the um, the way the energy works within the body. Um, and then also, Oh, shoot. I'm going to forget the name of the author and I'm going to have to tell you later. And there's another uh, book. Um, um, the Women's Anatomy of Arousal is another book that I found very helpful. Um, and I'm forgetting the author's name. Isn't that terrible? Anyway, so I, I heard this author, the second author uh, on a podcast where she was talking about someone um, having taught them or that how possible it is to teach yourself to have vaginal orgasms. And just to set the scene again, growing up, uh, the programming I learned was that they are really rare, that not very many women experience them. And so don't try, like, don't, you know, just don't even focus on that. Cause really clitoral orgasms are where it's at. Like, just don't even think, don't worry, honey. You know, that is, don't worry if you can't, cause you know, very few of us do. And really that's not where the fun is anyway. So it's like, Oh, okay. Um, so I, I had never experienced one and, um, but I always felt a little, little sad about that because I felt like, well, how can that be? Like, it just didn't seem right to me. I just felt that they, there's just design wise, you know, it's, there's got to be more of a direct relationship between how the anatomy of, of the opposite sex sexes interact during copulation. So there, when I heard her talk about this on the podcast, I, I, was excited because I'd never ever heard anybody talk about that you could train yourself to experience this. So I 
did. I tried the exercises that she recommended. And um, again, first try, you know, which makes you kind of go, doy, you know, why didn't I ever try before? Like, how could I have waited until I was 50, you know, to try and figure this one out? Um, and I, you know, it was just a self-pleasuring episode, you know, conducted in a certain way where I didn't make the clitoris the focus of attention and instead, you know, focused entirely on sensation within my vagina. And, and I experienced not only one, but three <laughs> in sequence in a short amount of time. And they were different. They were definitely qualitatively different than I'd experienced mm. before. And, you know, the first one I, I was, I started laughing a little bit because I was like, wow, you know, again, it was like, yes, thank you. This is exciting. Um, the second one was like, I got my attention. And then the third one, I started bawling. I started crying because mm. Again, it was a mind-blowing experience, and suddenly, you know, the 40 years of experience that I'd had, or not quite, <laughs> do the math on that, not quite that long, 35 years of experience that I'd had without ever discovering this, kind of rushed back at me in a grief, you know, oriented way where I just, I was so sad, so, so sad that this information was never shared that, you know, the anatomy of the, of the woman and the mechanics of female arousal is, is so poorly understood, I felt. And uh, it was, yeah. So, but the thing is that, so that happened and it was beautiful in and of itself, but then it unlocked something like it triggered this other ecstatic energy which started flowing pretty much continuously for about a month. So mm. I would experience the ecstatic orgasmic bliss spontaneously <laughs> going, going about my business, uh, uh, Had to be you know, driving. Yes. <laughs> I mean, in the office, you know, just random places, all of a sudden it would start to flow. And, and so I was in the on position for about <laughs> a month. And um, again, that was, you know, it just, it kept blowing my mind in new ways, <laughs> the whole thing. Um, and, and then I just realized, okay, th what is this that, you know, and, and had to try and figure out what that was and decided it was some kind of a Kundalini energy flow awakening. Um, but you know, what does that really mean? And just trying to put it all together in my mind. Um, and I was at that point in time in a new relationship. Um, we'd been together for only a few months by that point. Um, but from the very beginning of communications before we ever became intimate, um, we talked about all this and I told him my whole story and I'd said, you know, I really, uh, it's so important to me to approach my experience from this new perspective. And so we're definitely, you know, if you, if you want to be with me, you're going to have to, you're going to have to be open to this. And, and fortunately he, he's a beautiful soul with a very open heart and mind. And so mm -hmm. he was, um, he was more than happy to, you know, be there right, right along. Um, and so the, ne the next phase after this floodgate of energy just kind of started spilling forth and it was no longer about 
how do I make it happen? It was like, how do I keep it from happening when it really <laughs> shouldn't be happening? Um, then, you know, from that point, it was about, okay, how do I bring this into the relationship? Um, which at first there was some psychological blocks to that, you know, maybe not didn't last long, thank goodness. But the first few times I just, I was fearful, I think that it wouldn't happen with him. I thought, you know, and so I just kind of got into that, um, uh, that fear mindset that did actually act as a, a bit of a deterrent for, or a damper, I guess, for a couple of, t couple of days. Um, but then I sort of figured my way through that and the rest is history. <laughs> yeah. So now the listener has a better idea of what it was you shelved in order to become an attorney. Not that you, you, yeah, put a yeah. clamp on your ex experience of ecstatic sexual energy, but. Yeah. Um, the sharing, sharing of that yeah. story. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> so. In your podcast, when you describe this period of um, learning about the possibility of vaginal orgasms and learning then how to induce, or if not even induce, but um, uh, like being at the mercy of, the, of these energies, yeah. um, you described a couple of things that intrigued me, one of which was you felt that key to uh, allowing this energy to flow was uh relaxation and mm -hmm. mindfulness and and allowance and i'm wondering if you could um, elaborate on what you mean by relaxation and how it's uh, applied to the sexual experience or the ecstatic energy experience yeah so that really came into play when i was um learning tr trying to learn how to have vaginal orgasms and i i really um focused I don't know that she necessarily suggested this, but I focused on going completely limp. <laughs> and, um, you know, the training, when you think of sexuality, you think of doing, you know, being very active to try and make something happen. And, and this was the opposite of that. So this mm. training involved the least amount of stimulation and the most amount of relaxation to the point of almost feeling like I was paralyzed <laughs> in order to focus entirely on the internal, um, the internal experience, the energy, the subtle experience. So that was the, tr that was the, the key to unlocking a, a vaginal orgasm experience, which then was the key to unlocking this whole, you know, wave of experience was, not tensing up, not being a doer, not, you know, just being um, mm. as much as possible with the least amount of physical stimulation as, as I could allow. Um, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's hard to describe. Um, and then this sort of evolved into, um, I don't know if this is a direct segue, but it evolved into the, the sensation starting to live in my hands so that um, it, it became um, an empathic experience where if I would put my, like I could feel the pleasure, like right now, if I think about it, I can feel the pleasure existing in the palm of my hand. Like the ecstasy is, is, is just 
vibrantly right there. And so if I touch my partner, it can, it can uh, initiate the wave experience of ecstasy just from, just from putting my hand on his arm or some, you know, something as simple as that, because it's the connection of the energy between my hand and, and his body. And, you know, the interplay of the energy is really awake and activated. And so, and I experienced also an empathic, like, you know, if I don't feel like being really particularly active, <laughs> all I need to do is put my hand on him. If he's experiencing pleasure, then I experience pleasure. Like, just as if, you know, I were being active. <laughs> like vicarious pleasure you experience yeah. his? Wow. Yeah, empathic, empathic pleasure. That. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it just, yeah, it's a very, um, it's in every way possible different from my previous experiences. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to, how to illustrate that any more clearly. Um, Yeah. you said that um like you can kind of feel it living in your hands do you need to in uh do you need to go through any sort of procedure external or internal or otherwise to induce this or is it just always inhabiting your energy field um it's just i think a matter of focus of just drawing yeah. take bringing bringing attention to the fact of it being there um most of the time I'm not focused on it. So it's not some, you know, it's not something I'm experiencing constantly. Wow. In your podcast, you also um, highlighted a few times how, you know, in your, your previous conception and what you were trained with, you know, what most of us are, are trained with that uh, sexual pleasure had to be preceded by physical stimulation. Mm -hmm. And then you went on to describe how, uh, and the energy itself is separate from physical sexuality and mm -hmm. it can, it can flow without touch even, um, this, th these, but this base may have been covered already. And if you think that there is more that we could uh, explore there, could you describe what you mean by the energy is separate from its physical dimension? Yeah, well, we have touched on it. I mean, basically, the energy is what we're made of, you know, it is our essence. Um, and if we allow ourselves to greet another, you know, in whatever form that takes, with that awareness and, um, and trying as best as best we can to remove any blocks to its flow, then you can experience that, that uh, ecstatic energy of each other without even bothering with the sex part. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, <laughs> not to denigrate it, but you know, I'm saying that it's, it's not necessary. It's not you know, the, the physical part is necessary for procreation. The, the pleasure is not necessary for procreation. Just the physical stimulation is. Mm. And 
the pleasure is its own. It's just, like I said, it's who, it's what we're made of. It's, it's between every, it's within the spaces of our, of our energetic, um, you know, the, <laughs> the on the atomic level, it's within the space between the particles mm-hmm. and, um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I lost my train of thought there. <laughs> I, I'm on your train and it seems uh, very much on track. And uh, with these questions, I've actually been moving into act three. So we were, let's wrap up officially act two and which, which is about the, the discovery of this ecstatic sexual energy and then how it manifested in your life in, in subsequent years. And for the third act, I just want to ask more about this. But um, before we move into that, we're doing great on time. Do you uh, want to share anything more that's story specific or narrative specific? Which isn't to say you you can't touch on it. You know, the remainder of the program. But um, I don't know that I've retained a good sense of our of our arc here. So I'm not sure if I've, if I've covered everything well enough or not. And I'll just say that anybody who's listening, if, you know, feel free to reach out to me. I, I am absolutely open to engaging in question and answer uh, on a private level. So if I've <laughs> made things mysterious to anybody. Uh, thank you for that availability. And I'm sure some will take you up on it. Um, <clears throat> I don't mean to elevate personality by using the term way shower. Like uh, every single human on this planet has a gift to offer others. And if that gift happens to um, break the mold of consensus reality and and the boxes that we inhabit as part of our um, conventions about what we think is true. And if such a person then can communicate what they've discovered whether it's related to ecstatic sexual energy or some other hidden or suppressed or, or dormant or negated aspect of who we really are, then they become a way shower in that like they literally just show others what's possible. They say just, just by being who they are, not necessarily getting on a soapbox or a pedestal and saying, look at me, I've done something special, but just by saying this is how I live my life and this is me being authentic this is what I've discovered about myself and then you know if if you find this helpful I would love to tell you more about it so and hopefully with that properly disclaimed and contextualized I see you Susanna as a way shower and Mm. it's, it's it's interesting for me to note that often we don't what do I want to say we don't know what to look for or where to aim our attention or what to seek until we're given a glimpse of what's possible, a, mm. a peek behind the curtain, as it were. And once, if we do have that glimpse, then we know that, oh my God, there's a whole wondrous world beyond my conditioning and my programming and so forth. And I see just from an outsider's perspective, and I could be totally wrong, and I don't want to impose my um, interpretation on your journey, but I see your dream experience when you were a child as giving you precisely that glimpse, like this is what's possible. And it's not, um, whereas text in a book can open that window as well. In your case, it was very tangible, very vivid, showing you 
that this is within you. This is not just a, a fabrication of the subconscious <laughs> in your mind, but you, you held on to that as real. And then that gave you like a, a compass setting later in life because you knew that there is something more. I don't know how to get it. I don't expect that I ever will get it, quote unquote, but nevertheless, I'm going to aim my attention that way. And then it got unlocked for you. So that part of your story yeah. stood out to me as well. Yeah, thank you. Um, you're right. And it's funny how it, it receded into forgetfulness um, many, many times like that, that dream, you know, would haunt me for a little while after I'd have it. And then I'd, I'd go about life and it wouldn't necessarily, it, I'm just saying it wasn't a fully conscious quest yeah. until, yeah. until later until the the nth time of failing at a relationship you know so yeah and while my enthusiastic reflection may make it sound like this wonderful arc of, of walked over the rainbow and it's been great all along that dream also because as i said at the beginning of the show set such a high bar it also created a disparity between your lived experience and there was the world of, of pain and confusion and self-doubt and even self-narratives of like i i am broken something is wrong mm -hmm. with me mm -hmm. and it wasn't for decades later that you would as you indicated begin the conscious journey or seeking of that right so that concludes act two. And for act three, um, we'll just talk more with Susanna about- Do we all go uh, get popcorn now? Like how does this work? <laughs> popcorn is not needed for subjects like these. Um, the subject is its own popcorn. So uh, yeah, we as a group can explore sexual energy, can explore uh, Susanna's experience uh, specifically. I know I have some more questions yet, but um, Jim or Austin, Jim and Austin. I have one question about the uh, exercise you use, the meditation of the snakes going through the chakras and uh, causing the ecstatic sexual experience. Could you say that that was basically a key that opened the door, that you didn't have to go back to that afterwards? I mean, I think you said that for a while it didn't work. So what was, what was the essence of the exercise that caused the ecstatic experience, do you think? How were you prepared for that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I think that it was a, a, a moment in time where whatever the state of my my chakras what was you know the the open or like I think I was really raw <laughs> at the time I think I and my heart had been opened um, not that long before I had a I I'd had the experience of my heart opening um, right around the time my father died which was just before this. Um, so I think it was a combination of whatever my state was with the, the um, energetic mechanics of doing a visualization like this was just the right recipe for unlocking, like you said, um, this flow of energy. And then I think that the experiences that I had after that where it quote unquote didn't work was more about my mind and the, cause I never expected anything to happen the first time. You know, it just happened. 
And so when you start watching for it, like watching the pot, you know, boil, um, when you start, which is sort of the experience of many women when it comes to orgasm in a daily life, you know, in ordinary sexual context, when they start watching to see if it's going to happen, then it doesn't, you know, their, um, their mind, it's becomes a mental activity. And that, um, that just is a block. So I think that's kind of more what I was experiencing, but yes, I do think that there, there was something about the, the, the elements of the meditation with the, where, whatever was going on with me energetically was just a, the right recipe at that moment to start the flow. And that, so in that respect, it's very hard to teach because you don't know, you don't know if it's going to, if like, for example, that meditation will help anyone else. I don't know. I've provided, I've done a recording of it, um, which is a, a slight variation on what they do in the book. Um, that I've offered that I, during bliss runner, I offered up to people for free just to, you know, say, Hey, this worked for me. If it works for you, great here, you can have it. Um, but again, it is very hard to teach. And so I, you know, when I was trying to teach it, it was more about these broader concepts to try and just open, get them to open their mind to what's possible hmm. and then let them kind of run with the experimentation on their own and see if anything that I tried you know, works for them. Um, <laughs> does that answer your question? Yes. Um, I'm also wondering if you say that as you discovered the technique of experiencing vaginal orgasms, it was a process of you not doing, but being, and that you had to realign your thinking as to what sexual activity really meant. Now, would you also say that this realignment of your frame of mind concerning sexuality is something that would benefit others or how what I'm trying to say, I guess, is how much of this experience of yours is individual. Do you think to yourself and are there ways that you can teach it to others with general principles? I do think it's, it's something that is a universal potential and, and evolution within um, our experience. I, I think of, um, the conventional sexual experiences as a 3D, you know, the third uh, density experience of sexuality. And that this, the, what I've experienced is the glimmers of what's beyond, um, maybe the blending of further densities with the, with the physical experience. Um, so I, I do think that, that people can uh, learn um, the principles involved but again, because of the the particular alchemy of of their own experience energetically, it's hard to say what their experience will be. But I don't think there's any harm in at least learning about it, um, about what's possible, and trying to feel their way into you know what, or trying to feel what those concepts bring up within. You know, if if they can try on the idea like. Of, of a holy uh, union, such as is depicted in the book we talked about, the Magdalene manuscript, you know, that might click something open for them that might allow a, a flow of energy in a different way. I mean, just all of these pieces, again, I, it's certainly not math 
that you can, you know, <laughs> teach someone, but I'm just kind of putting out the pieces that I've discovered, the things that have happened to me and the pieces that, that, and the way I've tried to understand them. And I put them out there and, and possibly others will benefit. I, well, quite a few people have actually, I've gotten responses from people who've experienced these things as a result of the content that they, that they encountered on my site. So that um, it is learnable, it is learnable. Um, but I do think each experience is gonna be completely unique in whatever order things happen and what the experience is, you know, it's just, somebody keeps trying to call me and I'm hoping that's not something I have to deal with, it's not. <laughs> yeah, I, I, the one other thing I think that you mentioned that was important was that your heart opening occurred after your father passed away and that came before your first experience, right? Yes. So an open heart seems to be perhaps uh, one of the foundation stones. I would agree with that completely. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your responses. Yeah. Yeah. This whole, the whole experience of the ecstatic energy is very, very grounded in the heart. Um, it's, uh, you get a, a sense of pleasure. And I even remember before this started, that and shortly, so shortly after my father died, I remember at one point I was just touching my chest, um, like the, my sternum um, below my throat, and it and I could feel a pleasure there that was new. Um, yeah, so it, there's been there's just something about the heart center opening I think that is very connected to this whole experience. Thank you. Um, Susanna, thank you so much for sharing. I'm curious about the contextualizing this and the law of one. You didn't mention the law of one as being any significant part of this journey for you. And so I'm wondering if it played any role in your coming to this understanding or if you contextualize your experiences with your experience with the law of one generally and more specifically some of your experiences a uh, good number of the experiences you talk about are like solo sexual experiences, which I feel like those don't really have much of a context in the law of one. Ra talks a lot about sexual energy exchange between beings, but not much about what might be possible individually. So I'm wondering if you have any way to fit that into the law of one in any way, or if you've thought about that before. Yeah, I certainly have thought about it a lot since this all happened and, and really, um, I don't, I think of several of the, of the quotes, some of which Gary read um, already helped to validate my experience. Um, and then when I read, when I read and when I have read all of the, um, the sections on the sexual energy transfer and the blockages. And, you know, I try to understand, I, I sort of go back and do almost like an audit <laughs> of my previous experiences and try and think, oh, well, maybe that was going on in that one, or that was going on in that one. And then looking at where I am now and wondering, you know, where I, where my experience fits within the, the blockage, non-blockage, you know, energy transfer, um, uh, descriptions and it's really hard for me to know whether you know what 
what we, what, what I'm experiencing with my partner, because there is, I, I haven't talked as much about that, but there's certainly a lot there as well to talk about um, whether our experience has been, you know, to open heart experiences or whether we're dabbling yet within the fifth ray. I don't, I don't really know. Um, Cause I don't know what they look like. I don't know what that looks like. You know, there's not a lot of detailed description in the, in the raw material about if you, if you, overcome this blockage if if it's open here's what it looks like you know on an everyday sexual experience kind of uh way so i guess i just kind of have it as a backdrop and i and i'm always looking for more understanding for what does this mean you know what is what is the, how does my experience fit within this description and is there more or is this, is this what it is? You know, I just don't, I don't know if that answers your question, but um, I feel that there's more. I feel that within the raw description that there's, that I'm, that I'm really only at the green ray level of unblocking when it comes to that kind of transfer or we, I should say we perhaps are. Thank you. Yeah, so um, I think I have a few more. Do you have bandwidth for a few more? Mm -hmm. You have unlocked something that is clearly a non-physical in origin, and as, as you explicitly describe it as well. And it's you also give it a scope that is universal though subjectively experienced, of course, but nonetheless, it interfaces with the body. So I'm wondering if in general, you can describe like what the role of the body is in this experience of uh, ecstatic energy? How is it situated overall? Hmm. It might be a bit abstract. Yeah, well, I feel, I feel like the body is a playground you know, that this, that this energy is, is in our body is completely infused with this energy. And if you open up the possibilities, you know, any part of your body can be explored uh, and the energy can be discovered anywhere they're in. <laughs> so I, I just, I feel that we've limited our ideas of what the so-called pleasure centers are or erogenous zones or what, however you want to talk about it, you know, unnecessarily. Um, and um, I mean, it, I, I think it's the, the experience of the relationship between ecstatic sexual energy and the body is basically the same as non-physical reality and the body, you know, our, our souls or our spirits yeah. and the body it's, you know, we're learning through the body. We're, we're playing here in this playground of life through the body. And the same, it's just the same when it comes to sexuality, it's just that we need to open our, our thoughts, our minds, our ideas about how to use this tool <laughs> or what to allow to happen through this tool of our body. Oh, in the realm of sexuality. The, the phrase, <clears throat> the, the, the body is the holy temple through which the spirit manifests is, is coming to me. Mm -hmm. And it is by 
contact with spirit that the the body is ennobled and sanctified and uplifted. And uh, Ra describes very briefly that every aspect of the body, I believe they said from dense to fine, I'm probably screwing that up, but they said every aspect of the body can be uh, essentially transmuted and uplifted. Would you say that you have, by awakening this energy within in you, that you have felt uh, a certain ennoblement of the body or a sanctification of it, a, a re-seeing even? Hmm. I don't know. I have I have some other mental blocks when it comes to my body, you know, certain health mm. challenges and um, sort of the cultural uh, programming of aging and stuff that still kind of plays on me. So I, I think I, I have work to do <laughs> when it comes to sanctifying my body. You know, I, I appreciate it very much for many, many reasons, but I have work to do <laughs> for sure. Are you saying you haven't figured it all out? No, oh. not yet. <laughs> I wish we would have known this before we had you on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, scrap the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going <laughs> to have to delete this one. Uh, um, What would you say the highest function of sexuality or sexual energy is? If it, if it could, you can even put words to it. Gosh, um, again, I kind of, I see it as the same as the, the highest function of seeking of any kind. You know, it's, it's to realize the creator within yourself and within mm. everyone. Um, and it, it can be a palpable experience of that. I, maybe that's it. Maybe it's just like, that's an opportunity within three-dimensional reality to actually have a palpable experience of, of the creator versus a, um, I don't know what, I, I don't know what the verses is versus a more mental idea of it, or, you know, just a, a choice of viewing yourself and and someone else as the creator on an idea level it's um it feels more experiential embodied is the big buzzword mm -hmm. nowadays mm -hmm. in new age communities everybody says embodied a lot um it, you know in fact this brings to mind that ross said uh jim help me if i'm or austin if i'm butchering this one that the orgasm offers a glimpse into into intelligent infinity into the the joy of beingness do you guys know what i'm talking about that rings a bell i feel like i've read something along those lines austin's on the hunt yeah <laughs> he's gonna look it up yeah um I have a sense that like, while well, Austin's searching, that you have come a long way toward realizing and manifesting the experience that was given to you as a, a gift and a glimpse in that dream state. But I also feel like there's more yet to go. Like yeah, you're still yeah. seeking the communion, the, the complete fusion nature, as Ra in their technical language calls it, 
that is made available through this experience of ecstatic sexual energy. Yes, I do think so. And, and I think there's no getting there, you know, there's no arrival. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's ever expanding um, is my, is my sense, but yeah. But seeing that there is yet so-called distance to traverse, then it highlights where there are, or may be uh, blockages within you. Some conception about the self that limits your experience of this infinite expanding communing state. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sorry, I got distracted for a moment there by um, my daughter. <laughs> Uh, that's all right. You just confirmed that I was correct. And that was the most important part. Of, yes. Of the question. Yes. Clearly, obviously. <laughs> uh, Austin, did you find the Q&A? I did. It's actually, funny enough, a response to a question that you asked, Jim, about um, your experiences in your frontal lobes, the orgasm experiences in your frontal lobes that you had for a while. And in the response... Um, Ra says, these experiences are the beginnings of that which, as the body, the mind, and the spirit become integrated at the gateway or indigo level, may then yield not only the experience of joy, but the comprehension of intelligent infinity, which accompanies it. Thus, the body complex orgasm and the mind complex orgasm becoming integrated may then set forth the proper gateway for the spiritual complex integration and its use as a shuttle for the sacrament of the fully experienced presence of the one infinite creator. Thus, there is much to which the questioner may look forward. Mm, wow. Okay, Susanna, translate all that. <laughs> oh my goodness. I, <laughs> there's, I, I, think I need to focus on my brain a little bit more. It sounds like I'm the braingasm. <laughs> Um, that's pretty amazing. Uh, well, I think we should bring this to a close. I'll ask a couple more. You'll have to come back for a round table sometime down the road and we can talk more about sexual energy transfers in general, practicing with a partner, mm -hmm. uh, blockages and so forth that accompany that. Um, so I'll, I'll table some of those questions do, but because we uh, are all teachers to one another, we all have uh, wisdom born of our own life experience to offer others. I'm wondering if you have something to reflect for women specifically, but people in general who, when relating to the topic of sexuality, feel that they are, are broken or something's wrong with them. Well, I mean, the, the first thing is just if they can believe my words when I say that they're not broken, <laughs> um, no matter what it looks like, um, that there is nothing wrong with them, that would, be, that would be a beautiful thing if they could really take that in. But um, I know how hard it is to believe that when you're in, in that situation where things don't feel like they're working. <clears throat> but... Um, and to trust their instincts to, to, to look within them for everything that they need, that they don't, that pleasure is not something that comes to them from outside of themselves. It's, mm. it's, it's ingrained in who they are and that they just need to find the way that they can connect to it um, 
within, you know, on, on a cellular level with, within themselves. It's not just about physicality. To me, if you make that that focus and you just, you know, uh, set the intention, <clears throat> that's a big piece of it, setting the intention to discover. Then I think that that, yeah, would be a big help. Well, this self-sourcing that you're describing also would necessarily include self-trusting, self-accepting and loving. And that's probably where most of our deep, most deeply rooted blockages are in not trusting ourselves and not fully embracing, accepting ourselves and our needs and our, our particular wiring yeah, I would agree with that. And I would say that in, in my story, um, just just the making the definitive choice to not view myself as broken, even though I felt it to, you know, I, I sort of made oh, a very yeah. conscious choice. Like I, mm. I declare from this point forward that I, that there's nothing wrong with where I am. I'm, I am where I am and there's nothing wrong with it. And just something about taking that stand on my own behalf was an act of self-love that, that I think made a difference. And actually that little piece of the puzzle happened before the heart opening, before my dad died, like that, that piece of acceptance preceded all of this, interestingly. So, yeah. I'm at the cusp of my last question and thank you. And I wanted to reflect in response to what you just said about, you know, making, setting this conscious intention to not see yourself as broken, even though the, the inner conditioning and playback is telling you, you are broken. Ra, <clears throat> excuse me, Ra defines healing this way. Uh, they say healing occurs when a mind-body-spirit complex realizes deep within itself the law of one. That is, that there is no disharmony, no imperfection, that all is complete and whole and perfect. Thus, the intelligent infinity within the self reforms the illusion of body, mind, or spirit to a form congruent with the law of one. So... What I take from that quote, especially the there is no disharmony, there is no imperfection, is the seeing beyond the narratives that limit us uh, by seeing like exactly like you said, we are not broken. Uh, certainly there are imbalances within us. There are distortions. There are things that require our attention that we need to work through, but they are not manifestations of a fundamental brokenness. In truth, we are whole, complete, and perfect. And if we can cross that divide specifically with faith and with the act of will, exactly like you exercise, then we can invite that perfection into the seeming brokenness and transform and heal that and the healing really isn't really isn't fixing something but it's re-seeing the self it's right healing that perception that i was broken in the first place right yes i would agree absolutely with all that 
it was um, a quick, quick anecdote. I was working with uh, actually a guy you guys all know, Lawrence, who's an energy healer. And uh, after a homecoming, he was working with me and he spent like an hour. He put his hands on me at various places, just tuning into my body and listening to me. And he knows about my own narrative of uh, I, there's something wrong with me. It's, it's, it's one of my driving questions in adulthood. Like what is wrong with me and how do I solve the problem? Mm-hmm. And what he was getting was uh, picking back up from my body, from his energetic pings was that, um, it's like, there's nothing wrong with you. <laughs> and uh, just hearing that back to me was a, a moment of, of real healing. Yeah. Uh, obviously, I've still got a lot of work yet to do to really embody and understand that. But well, anyway, we all do. We all do. Yeah. Sorry for that tangent. All right. I, I have a quick final question for you about the future. But um, before I do, I want to give Jim and Austin uh, final space to comment or a question. Uh, just thank you for being on the show. It's been very informative and inspiring. And uh, I look forward to perhaps future gatherings together. Thank you. Well, I, I really, really appreciate, like I said, um, just the opportunity to revisit all of this with, with three such caring individuals is, is quite a gift to me. So thank you. Yeah, uh, thank you for sharing. So openly, this might be Gary's last question. I'm not sure, but are there plans to bring Bliss Runner back in some way? Don't preempt my question. <laughs> so that was what you were going to ask? Yeah. yeah. Gary, you're not okay. going to share? You're not going to share the question? Well, uh, no, Austin was asking exactly it. Um, um, related, sorry, I don't want to preempt Gary's question. So. No, 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 no. I was, I was just joking. Okay, yeah. Are there plans? Well, I would say not hard and fast plans yet. There's a vague notion of doing so. And I just haven't decided what that's going to look like yet. Um, and to what extent, how much energy I have that I want to devote to its resurrection. So um, it may be completely different. I don't, I don't yet know, but y- y- it's not going to disappear into the ether completely. Uh, thanks for holding on to that possibility. And thanks for taking the time out of your life to join us Susanna and to share so fully and unguardedly and beautifully with us it has been an awesome experience and uh, my pleasure entirely (laughs) and with that uh, Jim would you like to uh, close us out before I do our official close yeah, I'd just like to thank uh, once again, Susanna, for joining us. I hope that all our readers can feel the love and appreciation for her own ecstatic sexuality and ability to commune with that nature of the creator that is within all of us, that if we are able to open our hearts to that type of energies, realize that we are not broken, that we are whole and perfect, that we too can experience that uh, constant fusion nature of ourselves and the creator and the fusion with each other person on earth, but we are all the one infinite creator. You have been listening to LL Research's The Law of One podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can find more from LL Research at llresearch.org and bringforth.org. 
Thank you so much for listening and supporting this podcast. A special thank you to Susanna Miller for joining us. And if you have a question or a topic that you'd like for us to discuss, please read the instructions at llresearch.org forward slash podcast. We love you all and we'll, we will talk with you next time for our 100th episode. Yay. Thank you. Thank you.